0: morning, family. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be here. It's good to celebrate Jesus. It's good to think about all that God has done in the giving of His Son and have this conversation about how this story of Christmas is a story that's been foretold for thousands and thousands of years. In little bite-sized pieces God was, was moving towards the moment that the fullness of time would come and God would be born as a baby. So let's get our Bibles out and let's turn to Exodus chapter 30. You can find that on page 78. There's a few Bibles there in front of you, page 78. Feel free to take that Bible. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you That Bible is a gift. I want to welcome everyone joining us online and also shout out to Grace Point. Uh, We're grateful that we have the opportunity for the Word of God to be put forth so we can all hear it, study it, and be blessed by it together. A couple things. If you are going to lead a d group in the coming year and you weren't in the meeting last week then you need to be up in the loft during second service okay make sure that uh, you're taking note of the holiday schedule wednesday the 20th holly jolly christmas you definitely want to be here for that and Uh, Bring your kids and your grandkids. Invite people. It would be a great time for you to invite people to church. We're going to have a a great time uh, celebrating uh, Christmas with all of our kids. And then Christmas Eve, we'll be together 4.30. And uh, we'll be done by 5.30, so you'll be able to get home and get to um, the things that you do as a family for Christmas Eve. So we'll just be thankful to be able to be together. Regular service that Christmas Eve morning, and then 4.30 that afternoon, okay? All right, let's pray, and then we'll continue this foretold conversation. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us through Jesus. Thank you for the Word who became flesh. Thank you that every time we turn our hearts and our minds towards your Word, you Open up our hearts and you show us things and teach us things, Lord. And we pray that, that this morning, Holy Spirit, you'll come. Give us ears to hear. We pray that our hearts would be willing and open to receiving all that you have to say. Thank you for each one here. Thank you that none of us is in the presence of you. And this specific word that you have for us on accident, this is by your providence. And so we give you praise in advance. As we desire to hear from you. Thank you for Jesus above all things. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So, God did not just show up as a baby. That's not how this happened. By the time you get to the Christmas story, God has been telling this story over and over and over throughout the Bible preparing and preparing and moving and moving towards this moment trying to get our trying to, to get our heads around what is going on and when we when we look at the bible we realize that it's the chronology of this story of all stories and it's not until we 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 get to christmas in other words it's not until we hear the voice of god and are indwelt with the Spirit of God, that we look back and realize, oh, God's been speaking the whole time. And it's the same thing in the Bible. So as you gather as a family this Christmas and you sit together and and read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2, you can be mindful that uh, God had been telling this story in a myriad of ways, building and building and building across human history to get to the point where the fullness of time had come and, and we've been talking about the tabernacle this this is such an amazing place where god is foretelling this story it's one of the most fascinating interesting amazing places in the scripture and i love to study the tabernacle i love to have these conversations because they're just so rich and so full and Uh, It's impossible for me to say everything that I want to say, but you just don't have time because there's so much here. But in the book of Exodus, we have 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. And we're familiar with all the amazing things that are in the book of Exodus and, and the story of Moses and leading God's people and all of the things. But of the 40 chapters, 15 chapters are instruction. And we saw last week how these detailed, these, these these instructions are so organized and so thoughtful and intentional and fascinating when you think about and 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 peer into them. And we said last week that the details what they reveal is the priorities of God, the reason they're there. And so that so after last week, I hope that when you read these 15 chapters, your heart just wells up with joy as you realize, look at how important this is to God and what this says about God's commitment to us. It's an amazing thing. And so as you get your listening guides out, this morning in the tabernacle, we see God's commitment to the reversal of Eden. It's it's his commitment to the reversal of Eden. Because remember, when sin entered into the garden, it wasn't just that man was banished from Eden. We didn't just lose Eden. We lost the presence of God. Eden was a place created for man to enjoy the presence of God. That was the point. The point was not Adam and Eve enjoying Eden. The point was Adam and Eve enjoying Eden. God. And so when, when you read the first two chapters of Genesis and you read the creation story, what you're reading is God preparing the perfect environment to fellowship with man. Now, there's so many ways that we could think about this because we do the same thing. We we work really hard to create the perfect environment for very important things in our life. That reveals our priorities. In my life here recently, there's been a lot of babies born. So I have two brand new little grandsons. And listen, when, when a child is about to be born, there is great preparation that goes into creating the perfect environment for that child to come into, right? Especially when it's the first child. Because the first child, there's, there's, there's no environment yet, right? By the second, third, fourth, and on goes, at least you already have an environment. So I remember as Haley was pregnant, uh, she was sitting in my, uh, my dining room table having a conversation with Kayla, about because of course Kayla already knows all this stuff, and and Kayla and Haley are having a conversation about all the things that Haley and Colton need to prepare for the arrival of Carson, and I remember sitting there listening to that, going, "What are you talking about? I don't. Need, it's like a foreign language. I, I feel like when 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 Kayla when Lisa was pregnant with Kayla, it was like we need a crib." and sheets, and a blanket, and some diapers, you know, things that make sense. They're talking about night lights, and sound machines, and bumbo chairs, and like, what? Oh, you you know what? You got to get a baby, Bjorn. A what? What? What is that even... What is that thing? That's that thing that you wrap the kid up and hang him on your front. I didn't know. They got in a conversation. She goes, oh, let me tell you. Every night, Hank sleeps in a zippity-zip. What's happening right now? What... I mean... Don't get me started on the nose freedom. See, if you don't have a baby, you don't know what that is. That is a snot extractor. I thought, do they make those for grown-ups? Because I know some people that need that. You imagine you're having, you know, a conversation with somebody and, you know, they got a, a bat peeking out of the cave there. And you just go, hold on a second, here you go. You wanna (laughs) just get that thing? I mean, my grandkids, they have wipe warmers. I'm like, hey, y'all are gonna make them sissies. Let that cold wipe touch their butt. I mean, we're toughing them up. None of this existed when I had kids. I don't even know what you're talking about. But this is what we do in preparation for something important. That's what's going on in the garden. That all this creation, see God is preparing everything for the arrival of man. Yes. So he he hung lights in the sky and he filled the land with fruit-bearing plants and he had animals running all around, and there were beautiful flowers to look at, and all these details were made ready so that when man and, and woman arrived, that it would be there for them to enjoy. You see, that's why he created all those things. God didn't need any of them. He didn't create them because he needed them. He created them because he was creating the perfect environment to to fellowship. With this perfect creation. That's why God created all these things before he created man. He was preparing everything for that moment. See, God wasn't just giving Adam and Eve creation to enjoy. He was giving himself for them to enjoy. And so God since sin ruined all of that, God has been committed to the reversal of Eden to bring back. And that's what we're heading towards. We're heading towards our ultimate glorification, which is a moment when we are in perfect fellowship again with God, face to face. But until we get there, it's this story that's unfolding, leading us in that direction. Well, when you think about it, there they are in the garden. And yet there's one prohibition. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does man choose? Chooses to violate the one prohibition. And so we're cast out of God's presence. And so when we look at the tabernacle, what we realize is, is that this was God foretelling way in advance because, because here's, the, here's the point. The point is, when sin destroys that fellowship, it's, well, is that it? Is it one strike and you're out? I mean, is it done? Is it over? Is our, the chance for us to reconnect with God hopeless now? It's all ruined? I mean, is that the situation? And so when you look at the tabernacle, what you realize is God's saying, yes, there is a way back. Yes. Yes. There is a way back. But you can't do it yourself. That's what we realize, that we can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it. We can't achieve it. We can't get to God. God has to come to us. Yes. So, for example, if, if we look at the very last chapter of Exodus, here's what the Bible says in Exodus 40, 33. And so Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work, okay? He finished the tabernacle. Now the very next verse, what happens as soon as the tabernacle is finished? The Bible says, "'Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle.'" So once all of the instructions were followed and everything was done according to God's uh, parameters, the glory of God showed up. The presence of God shows up, right? And when you get to the Christmas story in John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen what? His glory. You see, it's His presence, His glory. The glory is of the only... Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. So it's like that That means to tent. That's what it means. It's the tent of meeting. That's what the tabernacle is. I mean, I don't know how much time you've spent sleeping in a tent, but sleeping in a tent is a is a novelty. You know, it's... It's fun to people who have never done it before or who are too young and dumb to understand what's involved in it. That's what it is. It's, you know, it's fun if you set up a tent in your backyard for a minute, but then it doesn't take long. If anything goes a little bit awry, if it gets, the temperature drops too low or it starts pouring down rain or it gets windy, what everyone's out and you're, or you hear a funky noise. Everyone's out and you're in the house, right? But no one's ever been in the house and went, oh no, there's a tornado warning. Honey, set up the tent. No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't leave your house and go to the tent. You leave the tent and go to your house. See, it's a, it's a novelty. Well, what does the Bible say about God? Well, the Bible says... In Isaiah 61, 66, here's what God says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So that's God's dwelling place. So when he comes and tabernacles among us, here's what that's saying. We serve a God who's willing to sleep in a tent to be with us. Think about that. He's in heaven. The earth is His footstool. And then the Word became flesh and slept in the tent. You see? See, in the tabernacle, it's God saying, I want you back, and I'm going to make a way. I want you back, and I'm going to make a way. Thank you, Lord, that you want us back, and you're going to make a way. So as we look at this picture of the tabernacle, we see that it always faces east, and you enter through this, the east side, and there's a specific order and layout that makes perfect sense as God's foretelling this story as we move across it. Now have that in your mind, and let's read in Exodus 30 together, beginning in verse 1. Okay. Exodus 30 verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold. It's Top and around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it under its moldings of two opposite sides of it. You shall make them, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet you. Now, let's look at this picture. What's being described is the altar of incense or the golden altar. You see, the first altar, the altar of burnt offerings, it's brazen. It's made of bronze and the the bronze laver. But once you move into the holy place and the most holy place. Everything outside of that is bronze. Everything inside of that is gold. Bronze is, a, is always a picture in the Bible of judgment. Gold is always a picture of glory. Remember that. Whenever you see bronze, that's always a picture of judgment. And so as, we, as you move into the holy place, last week we looked at the golden lampstand, which would be to your left, and then there's the table of showbread to your right. But right in front of you, is this altar of incense. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments. I want to talk about this altar of incense, and I want to talk about what it means and what it's teaching us, what it's foretelling about this whole setup. So the first thing I want us to do is I want us to talk about the placement, the placement. I want us to think about how it's positioned in the tabernacle, the placement. You see, when you when you walk into the most holy place, and what you 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 see these two elements: one to the right, one to the left, and then this altar in front of you. And behind that is this veil, this giant veil, curtain. And on that curtain is a cherubim uh, embroidered. A big angel is embroidered on that. And through that veil, on the other side of that veil, which you can't see, that's the holy of holies that represents the the presence of God. And so what is this, first of all, just the position of this, what is this telling us? When you enter in to the holy place in order to get to the presence of God, there's something, there's, a, there's something in front of you. There's a veil, but then there's something in front of that veil. And here's what it's telling us To see and experience the fullness of God's presence, we cannot bypass the altar of incense, it's there positioned in a certain way for a reason. It's in the middle for a reason. It's it's blocking your access for a reason. So you think about that. There's an outer courtyard. You got an outer courtyard. You got the first thing you come to is this altar of burnt offerings, which is If we're going to move into God's presence at all, our sin has to be dealt with. You can't even go in without the first thing you have to do is deal with your sin. So the Bible says in Hebrews 9 that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So that's where the first offering would be made for your sin. But then after that, you move to the basin or the labor. So then you're cleansed, right? So sin has been dealt with. The penalty has been paid. Then we're cleansed. The second thing we come to is the basin where we're cleansed. And then you move into the holy place. To the left, you've got the lampstand, which is shining the the light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Right? And then to the right, what do we have? The table of... Show bread that, that symbolizes God's provision, His daily provision. Not just physical bread, but the Bible says what? In Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So our daily provision, our daily need is to daily eat of the Word of God, right? But then if you want to get closer, if you want to move closer to the presence of God... You want to press in, you have to deal with the altar of incense. See, without the altar of incense, you cannot go into the holy of holies. So that this is very important. There's no experiencing of the fullness of God without dealing with this altar. So if the position is there to tell us that we have to deal with it, then the next question is, well, then... What is the purpose? What's the purpose of the altar of incense? What is, what is it doing? What do we need to know? What is God telling us? Well, for example, in Psalm 141, here's what the Bible says. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we see this because a lot of times when you first look at this, you're like, well, what is this? What is this whole incense thing? You know that you, you, when we think of incense, we think of burning this little stick and this smoke comes off that has this sweet smell to it. Well, the Bible equates this to... The prayers of His people. For example, in Revelation chapter 8. This is all through the Bible. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now watch this. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now remember in Hebrews, the Bible says that God told Moses to do, to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that's in heaven. And now we see this golden altar, this pattern in Revelation 8. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So the smoke of the incense at the altar of incense represents the prayers of God's people. Now, a lot of times when, when I talk about this with people, they, they don't get as excited about it as I feel like they should. Like this should really make you excited. So let me help you sort of get your heart wrapped around the reason why you should be super excited about this. See, I think a lot of times people say, now, well, now hold on a second. Now, when Jesus said it is finished, the veil tore from top to bottom, and we're given access to the presence of God, right? Right. But the only way we can experience that presence is through prayer. Prayer. Now, now now bear with me. Does that seem like a bummer to you? Does that seem like now wait a minute that doesn't seem like the kind of access that I was hoping for or thinking about. I mean I, I mean I thought the veil was torn. I thought that we could feel close to him. We could just go in anytime. I thought there was no longer barriers between me and God. Okay, well, how come, how come sometimes we feel so distant from God? How come there are seasons of our lives where things seem dry and maybe cold And when when we sit down and talk and you say, Pastor Tony, it just I just feel I just feel far from God. I feel like God's far from me. I just feel distant. I'm gonna say, well, when was the last time you you got alone and just spent time in prayer with God? Just you? in Him. See, the veil is torn. You do have full access to God, but sometimes He feels like He's far away because we're not praying. And I want you to notice, do you notice how now the the feeling in the room has shifted a little bit and how it feels sort of heavy in here right now? Because as soon as I start talking, I know. I know the things that when I mention them, the countenance in the room changes. Prayer is one of those things. Whenever I start talking about prayer, people begin to feel heavy. They feel inadequate, feel... Like we're not doing a good job. Feel this struggle. Notice back in Exodus 30. Verse 7. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So here's what's happening. Whenever the priest goes into the temple and refills the lampstand, which is continually providing light, because remember, there's no windows. The only light inside the tent is... Is from the lampstand, and so it's constantly refilled, and it's constantly providing light. And whenever they go in to refill it, they they replenish the incense because the incense is constantly burning. To which you say, "Okay, but that's not making me feel better. It should." What is God saying by telling us that this incense is constantly burning on this altar? What is he telling us about prayer? If that symbolizes prayer and prayer is necessary to experience the fullness of God's presence, then what is it telling us about about prayer? It's just confirming what God will later say in 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Which is another verse that makes us feel heavy why why is it that when the bible says pray without ceasing you feel ugh, like that's a heavy requirement that's a heavy task that's a hard saying isn't that interesting see when i was a young christian I used to feel that way about that verse. I used to think, I got to pray all the time without ceasing? And that, that command felt like a burden. It seems like something you can never live up to. But when God commands, keep the incense burning, pray without ceasing, Instead of looking at that command as to what God's saying to you, why don't you look at that and say, What is that command saying to you about God? Huh? First ask yourself, What is it saying about God before you let this weight come on? What is it saying about God? Here's what it's saying. Pray pray without ceasing. It's saying there's never a moment that I don't want to meet with you. You see the the incense burning all the time. If the incense represents the prayers of the saints and it never stops burning, then the incense is always burning. There, it's always burning. It's always present. And so when God says pray without ceasing, God's saying there's never a moment of any day and any time that I don't want to meet with you. What if God would have said, just pray sometimes? Because I'm busy and I don't have time for you all the time. What if God would have said, hey, you know what? Don't pray about the dumb stuff. Just pray about the big things. But he didn't say that. See, God says, no, I always have time for you, and I always have time for anything that's important to you. I want to hear about it. That it's not just pray once a day or twice a day or this point or that point. It's I'm always available for you. You see... It's not a burden when you think about it correctly and you realize that through prayer, God's offering us all of Him all the time. All the time. See, we have a tendency to think, wait a minute, prayer is the only way to access and experience the full presence of God? When I'm saying, wait a second. Yes, but stop and think for a second. Prayer Anytime, anywhere, any place, about anything is always available. Instead of looking at it as a barrier, look at it as a key that you can keep in your pocket anytime, anywhere, use it anytime. That's what it is. And you think about that there's so much confusion today about prayer. So many reasons why we, we, so many lies we believe about God and we believe about ourselves that hinder our prayer lives. See, maybe, maybe you've prayed and you've asked God for something. And maybe you've asked God for His will about some situation or some issue or person or thing or whatever it is. Have you persisted in that prayer? And again, why does that feel heavy to you when I say that? Have you persisted in that prayer? Well, if, if God hears my prayers and if, if, I, if He's always available and wants to meet with me, then, then isn't praying one time sufficient? Well... I don't know what does the Bible teach us about that. Well, let's think about something. You see, when we, when we pray, why don't why, first of all, when, when something is important to us and we pray about it, what prevents us from being persistent about it? Well, uh, quite frankly, we all know the answer to that. It's because we pray, and then nothing happens. And we think, well, nothing's going to happen. And why do we think that? We think, well, because nothing's going to happen based on us. See, nothing's going to happen because God's not going to answer my prayer because I have sin in my life. God's not going to answer my prayer because I'm not as faithful as I should be. God's not going to answer my prayer because I haven't done all the things I'm supposed to do. And so we stop praying because we think that it's because of us. That's the truth. That's why you don't persist in prayer. It's because you're focused on you. That's what we do. We believe lies about God, and then we believe lies about ourselves. Well, let me tell you how you know that's not true. Because if ever in the history of the universe, there was a person who prayed a prayer, who fully, completely, totally, 100%, top to bottom, start to finish, deserved for that prayer to be answered, it would have been Jesus. Jesus. And so let's think about what happens when Jesus prays in Matthew chapter 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John with him deeper into the garden. He says, you rest here. The Bible says he goes to the Father, and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, please, if there's another way. And God says, no. And he goes back, and he wakes up the three compadres and says, hey, what are you sleeping? Wake up. And he goes back in and he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? And God says, no. Is that what happens? And then what happens? And then he goes back a third time. And the Bible says, and again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time saying the same words again. Now just hold on and think about this. Jesus got no, not once, not twice. So he persisted. So clearly it's not based on you. Isn't that true? So can you just free yourself from that lie right now? Let's just all free ourselves from that right now. You know that's been plaguing you. Get that off of you. Jesus persisted. He said, no, Father, is there any other way? But why? why what, what is God teaching us, not about us, but about himself through Jesus praying in Gethsemane? What is he teaching us about him? There's a reason this is in the Bible. It's to shape our understanding of prayer. Then after the third time, notice the shift. Notice exactly what the Bible says in the very next verse. Then he came to the disciples after the third prayer and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Wait, what? Did you see what happened there? He went from, I don't want to do this. Please take this away from me. No. I don't want to do this. Please take this away from me. No. I don't want to do this. Please take this away from me. Goes back. Why didn't he go back a fourth time? Well, because it's clear. He doesn't need to. Because the third time, He came to realize the Father's will was the best way. God is showing us through Jesus the exact thing He does in our lives when we pray. When we pray and God says no, the reason we persist is not because we're trying to bend God's arm to listen to us and we're trying to, if we concentrate enough or say enough of this way or that way or some ridiculous thing that the devil's trying to conjure up in your head, it has nothing to do with that. Persistence in prayer is conforms us to the will of God in what we're praying about. See, God, God answers all prayers in one of two ways. Either He says yes, or He conforms our will to understanding that His no is better than a yes. That's what He's showing us. Jesus comes back after the third time with a completely different mindset. So see, that's the purpose. The purpose is the prayers of God's people. It's placed there for a reason. It serves a very important purpose. And now let's think about the power, the power. Verse 10. Aaron shall make atonement on his horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. This incense. These prayers that are constantly burning, constantly going forth from this altar that's before the Holy of Holies. Why does the Bible say, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations? it is most holy to the lord see what makes our prayers effective and powerful is not the quality of our prayers it's it's not the faithfulness of the person praying Jesus proved that. It's not the obedience of the person praying. It's not it's not the person praying. It's not because we use fancy words. It's not because we we focus real hard with our attention. No. Our prayers are powerful and effective. Because of the blood of Jesus. That's what this is teaching us. See, this isn't, this isn't a, a, an incense stand. How come, how come God didn't just say, well, just make a, a big candlestick looking thing and put incense in the top of it? No, this is an altar of incense. It's an altar of... Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not the tabernacle, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Imagine. Just imagine in your mind the priest entering into the tabernacle. To light the incense or to switch it out, to refill it. And as he's doing that, he's standing there next to that altar. And he sees right there is the veil, the curtain. It's right there. Right there. On the other side of that veil, is the presence of God. It's right there. And he knows that it's right there. And he lights that incense. And he doesn't fully understand what all this could possibly mean because he couldn't imagine in his wildest dreams what it is ultimately foretelling. But as he's lighting it, and as he's tending to that altar of incense, he's very aware that he can't go any further. Only the high priest, only once a year, could go any further. So he understands every priest that was on duty, on rotation going in, tending to this altar of incense. Now, this incense that that represents what? The prayers of the saints. They knew that was as far as they could go. They cannot go any further than that incense. Right? There was no doubt about that. But what goes farther? No, no, I'm talking about in the tabernacle. They can't go any farther. But the smoke of that incense goes farther. What does that mean? That that means, yes, it is finished. Yes, the veil is torn. Yes, you can come boldly into the throne room of heaven. How? How? What pierces through that veil? Your prayers. God was was showing us in the tabernacle how the prayers of God's people would enter into the presence of God because they themselves yet couldn't do that. To which we say, well, wait a minute. But I, I'm, I'm still here this morning in this situation, in this world, in this physical body, in this physical realm where I exist. And where is God? I mean, where is the, the physical presence of God according to the Bible? He's in the throne room of heaven. His spirit indwells us, and we're his temple. But where is he? He's in the throne room in heaven. And we can't get there yet. You can't get there right now. You can't go there. If you're saved, when you die, you'll be there but until then you can't go there but god's saying you can come boldly right now see how can you get to the throne room of heaven right now what makes it in our prayers make it in you understand when you pray your prayers make it in your prayers make it in to the very presence of God that our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, that are in heaven with Him, are experiencing that face-to-face presence. Our prayers go into that presence. Wait, what? Yes. Remember when I read Revelation 8? And I said, and another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. You see, the altar's there, the throne's there. See, in heaven, there's no veil. But the altar's there, and the throne's there. Jesus is there. God's on the throne. Jesus is where? The right hand of the Father. That's where, what the Bible teaches And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God, right before him, right there with him from the hand of the angel. Listen, not one prayer ever prayed in the name of Jesus has ever been wasted. How do I know that? Because what does the Bible teach? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because Jesus is in the presence of God at the right hand of that throne interceding for us. So our prayers reach the presence of God through what? Through Jesus until we're in the presence of God face to face. That's how that works. So when the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives. Just like the incense always burns, he always lives. He doesn't live sometimes. He doesn't live 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, but on the weekends you got to put in a holding tank until first thing Monday morning. That's not how it works. He always lives to intercede on our behalf. So when you pray in Jesus' name, Jesus takes your prayer to the Father so the Father answers your prayer as if it comes from the Son what which means if god tells you no you can know for sure that it's because there's a better way because god's never going to tell his son no unless there's a better way you see the point is not if you if you pray about the right things or in the right way, or it's not about all that. It's just about the fact that you pray. Because you understand that when a believer prays, it's like sweet aroma into the Nostrils of God. He loves the smell of his children coming to him and praying. And so not only can, is the incense always burning, but the intercessor is always there, always available, always interceding, and the Father's always listening. Man! Why don't we pray? Because we believe lies about God and about ourselves that's why listen to me listen listen your prayers regardless of how you feel your if you are saved listen to what I'm about to say your prayer does not end when you say amen That's when it begins. See, we think that when we say amen, that's it, it's over. When you pray in Jesus' name, here's what you're saying, God, I've taken this as far as I can take it. And then Jesus is saying, now I got it. And I'm taking it to the Father. I'm taking it where you can't take it yet. That's what happens when you pray. Listen, that's what happens when children pray. That's what happens when we hear people we love pray. God hears that. And those prayers don't end when we say, Amen. Sometimes, If we're not careful, prayer can feel like a lonely place, can it? You can feel alone in your closet by yourself with the Lord. Don't believe that lie. Whenever you pray, this is what the Bible teaches in Hebrews 7 and Romans 8. Whenever you pray, Jesus prays with you. You're not alone. You're the only physical person in your prayer closet, but you're not alone. You're not alone. See the story that's been foretold for thousands of years is God's reversing Eden. He's moving us back to full experience of his presence. He's restoring perfect fellowship. Between us and him. See that's what's so amazing about heaven. It's not golden streets. And all that. It's full restoration. Of the presence of God. And fellowship between man and God. That's what makes it so amazing. But you see in every step of the story. It's one step closer. To an eternity face to face with him. So when God says to you, pray without ceasing, listen, that is an expression of his, his unbelievable love for you that is so great that he's saying, there's never a moment that I don't want to meet with you. Just pray without ceasing. Pray as much as you want. Pray about whatever you want. And just persist in prayer. Because I will answer your prayer. Because I always do. And when you get worn down. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just understand that listen. God's not saying nope you haven't hit the quota yet. No. He's saying, I hear you. Listen to me. Trust me. Trust me. There are things you can't know. There are things you can't understand. There are things you can't see. But trust me. I'll always do the absolute best thing that can be done. Because when you pray, that prayer... Reaches the Father through his beloved Son. So as we as we move towards this Christmas season and, and the celebration of the birth of Jesus, oh I just want you to remember. You never pray alone. Never. when you go into that special place to meet with God you're not there alone Jesus is there with you your prayers don't end there they keep going and I know you can't you can't get into the physical presence of God yet I understand trust me I feel the same frustration. But my prayers can, and your prayers can. The smoke of that incense goes right into the holy of holies. Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, the way you love us is so extraordinary. when we look at the story of redemption, when we look at the story of you restoring, reversing Eden, God, we're just amazed by your heart. And it, it reminds us of how unworthy we are. It reminds us of how Helpless we would be to try to sort this out ourselves. But it, it presses us into the loving arms of your sufficiency. That you, through the light of your son Jesus, have revealed all the ways that we could never do what needed to be done. But that you were giving yourself to accomplish that for us. And so, Lord, may our prayer lives, not just this Christmas season, but from here forward, may they represent the truth of what your word teaches us. We want to take captive the lies that we believe about you and about ourselves so that we can, in fact, Come boldly into your presence and experience the fullness of that. So Lord, let a new chapter begin. Let a new let a let a new beginning of prayer start in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not know You, may they hear this morning how much You love them and that You want to know them and that You have broken down every barrier to give access to Yourself. But You will not force anyone. You will only invite. And so, God, will You grant the courage in conviction to respond. And Lord for every saved person, may we respond in awe and humility at what this communicates about you. And we thank you and we pray this in the name of the one who intercedes, who lives to evermore intercede. Thank you Jesus.